Hello, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance, a podcast where we aim to bring you the biggest news in tech from the last two weeks and what headlines to watch out for next. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance. We're joined today by Jamie, the author of our world-famous This Week in Tech blogs. So we're hoping he'll be a natural. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing very well. Um, very excited to appear on the podcast for the first time. First time of many, I hope. I feel like uh, the, the blogs were perhaps a, a forerunner to this <laughs> podcast, in a sense. A precursor, A precursor. If you will. A less well-produced, less efficient, less <laughs> comprehensive precursor to a much better product that we're now both on. Oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm honoured and I'm, I'm shaken to my core. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, let's get into our first story of the day. And that is Meta's first ever quarterly drop in revenue. Now, Meta, of course, huge company. Everyone knows who they are. And if you don't know who they are, they're Facebook. So recently, they just uh, announced their quarterly results. And that resulted in a 1% revenue drop to $28.8 billion. So obviously they're really struggling right now. If anyone wants to donate, this is a trying time. The cost of living is hitting everyone hard. Exactly. Mark Zuckerberg might have to sell his fifth house. (laughs) So it's predicted that their growth in the third quarter could drop even more. So that's something to look at. And the overall profit for Meta sort of as a whole, as an umbrella of Reality Labs and Facebook, fell 36% to $6.7 billion. Now, a big part of this, and the reason for this drop mainly, might be that the Reality Labs division, responsible for building Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse and all of the associated gadgets, lost $2.8 billion this quarter. There's other reasons as well, and that's partly to do with advertising. Marketers are spending a lot less than they used to, and given that Facebook and Meta's budget used to depend on a lot of that advertising revenue, they're struggling, they're competing with their competitors, as you do, and Apple's privacy rules in particular have made targeted ads a lot less effective. Meanwhile, trying to promote Reels to compete with TikTok has perhaps not been as effective as they would like in the short term. I think right there, Dan, you touched on the key points, and my hot take on this issue is that cool. we're, I know, hot, we take, love hot, takes. hot take incoming, <laughs> is that one of the broader factors and the more macro factors for, for this quarterly loss, which are outside of um, Meta's control, is the shift or the change or the end of the era mm. in social media as we know it. If you think about it, MySpace probably arguably the first one to kick it off. When was that? 2003? Ooh, uh, well, we were then? <laughs> mid, mid, mid to early noughties at the very least. And what we're seeing now in recent times is an increase in like TikTok, I think symbolizes this very well. Viewing videos and contents or they're engaging with other people on messaging boards or communities. WhatsApp, uh, Red- Reddit. People still love Reddit. People do love Reddit. Because it's just like people chatting and engaging in that way. Mm. Whereas the traditional social medias, yeah. they're not holding up in that way. And that's why you're seeing them move towards videos more. Like on the Instagram, everything is now a video. I think mm. Kim K said uh, a few weeks ago, I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, what's happened to Instagram? I just want to see cute pictures of my friends. Yeah, there's been a lot of backlash to that uh, update, but they're, they're trying to keep with the times. Exactly, they have to, because they're not surviving, and people are, are moving away from them, and that's why the company's now meta. Mm. That's why they're pouring money into Oracle and the metaverse. What is the metaverse? Sorry, we always talk about the metaverse <laughs> as if it's actually a, a thing already. There's news yeah. every other day of, oh, H&M's launching its metaverse product. Where? 
Well, have we all just agreed? Have we all just bought into this reality? Well, I think what Mark Zuckerberg is relying on is no one really asking that question yet, hence why they're losing billions of dollars. <laughs> uh, to me, it seems like a bit of a Hail Mary, as in Facebook knew this time was coming. It yeah. knew it had to switch, so it's moving towards the metaverse. It's gone for the big one before anyone else has, and I don't know if it will work. Do you remember the Facebook phone in 2013? I don't, and I think there's exactly, a good reason for that. Exactly, <laughs> what, exactly right. Yeah, well, it's interesting in terms of when you head a giant company like Meta, you have a lot of financial pull, but you also have a lot of financial responsibilities. Mm. And some people are better at balancing the two than the others. 100%. It's like trying to, trying to turn around an oil tanker in the middle of the uh, Panama Canal, perhaps. <laughs> Meta owns Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp as its most valuable companies. Also, Messenger, Facebook mm. Watch. Oh, didn't know what that interesting. was. Meta Portal. What we're seeing is Facebook and Instagram are clearly its main two, and they're in a tough time or a time of decline. In a valley. Very... Well, exactly. And in terms of watching out for what news will come next, look out for new product announcement or policy changes as Meta looks to kind of reassure their shareholders, or as you know, Zuckerberg uses it as an opportunity to really hammer home this metaverse tradition really stake his career on it, essentially. And it's, it's very interesting that no one else is going for the metaverse as of yet in the same way that uh, Meta currently yeah. is. Yeah, you see a lot of announcements of companies making moves that could potentially be used in the metaverse. But in terms of companies pivoting their mm. entire approach, building that underlying technology, mm. Meta have been the ones to really stake their entire yeah. future on that working out. And to shout about it a lot more than anyone else. 100%. But also look at how, with the value of data changing due to force and advertising revenue, what moves they make in that real space to compete with TikTok. For our next topic, a semiconductor bill has just passed the US House of Representatives. Now, this is an exciting piece of news as the US looks to compete with China and other big powers in the space like Germany. So Congress just passed this $280 billion bill funding scientific research and, more controversially, giving these computer chip manufacturers financial incentives to build more production in the US. And it passed the Senate last week, 64-33, which, people who pay attention to American politics, is basically a landslide, a very bipartisan support. And any time this week, Joe Biden will be looking to sign this into law. This is the Chips and Science Act, or CHIPS, standing for Creating Helpful Incentives to Produce Semiconductors, which, if you ask me, is a little bit contrived. Oh, I quite liked it. <laughs> I thought it was very clever. <laughs> well, it was very cute. Yeah, and so basically what it does is it provides $52 billion in government subsidies for US semiconductor production and a, a tax credit for chip plants, which should be about $24 billion. And most notably, this doesn't just incentivize domestic production, it also kind of disincentivizes incentivizes foreign investment because this law should block companies that get some of this uh, federal funding, uh, a piece of the pie, if you will, from um, expanding production of chips more advanced than 28 nanometers in countries of concern for a decade. Obviously, uh, very interesting because the US get to define which are countries of concern, assuming China's fairly up there. And uh, part of this is that um, chip makers will be allowed to build on production in China and Russia, as long as, you know, these are older semiconductors. 
So this isn't necessarily halting the US's distribution of chips elsewhere, but it's making sure that only the best ones go back home. And obviously chips have been a big topic of discussion over the last year, maybe longer, in terms of supply shortages. And obviously with how important these are in terms of national defense, I think I read about these missiles that the US uses that use hundreds of chips in them where potentially you don't want Chinese or Taiwanese chips propping up your own systems. I, I think that that's exactly the issue there. I know obviously this is a tech podcast, but I mm. think the story here is more geopolitical than, oh, yeah. than anything else. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, when we were preparing for this, <laughs> uh, obviously we, we love constant new developments, but uh, as we speak, Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan, yeah. which is uh, putting China's military on high alerts, really flexing their muscles. Yeah. But I think, I think the issue here is it's about continuity and, of America on the international stage. I think mm. every, everything we rely on for our modern day work, our hybrid working, our remote yeah. working, our email, our Zoom, our phone, everything technology-based relies on these silicon chips. Yeah. And with a vast amount of them being produced in China, because obviously it's cheaper to manufacture in China, so why wouldn't you? And then an uh, even larger proportion of the semiconductors being in Taiwan, the US needs to ensure some continuity in its own chip manufacturing. So yeah, this is a geopolitical issue, which I think that goes some ways to show why it won such a landslide in the in the Senate. Yeah, well, it's this unique cross-section of advancing the US's manufacturing process and technological status, mm. while also being uh, arguably a national defence mm. kind of project as well. So you see why it had such. I think the, the two are, not to go all known Chomsky, but the two are quite <laughs> quite intertwined. Now, mm. I think when you think of America now, like big international American business, I don't think Hollywood in the same way. I think the, I think Silicon Valley. I think, oh, yeah. I think the tech business and the tech boom is not one of their last, but it is one of the things they dominate in the globe so much more than the other geopolitical powers like China and whatnot. So I think, I think the two are intertwined, essentially. Interesting to see how it develops in the coming weeks and days. Oh, of course. And uh, especially watch out for announcements of chip manufacturers ramping up domestic production or scaling back foreign ones. And even potentially foreign companies like Arm, obviously based in the UK, maybe changing their competitive strategies like targeting these markets like, well, potentially not Russia at the moment, but China or other countries of concern for the US. And maybe even seeing how this could affect Arm's listing on the NASDAQ instead of the LSE. Absolutely. Our third topic today, a bit of bluster from Octopus, the renewables energy giant. And they're basically seeking one billion pounds in taxpayer funding to take over Bulb, which is one of their rivals that unfortunately collapsed fairly recently and is being propped up by the UK government. It's been run by an administrator since it did go under last November. And this £1 billion in funding that they're going after is part of this package being discussed where Octopus would also pay over £100 million for Bulb's customers as well also entering into this kind of profit sharing deal with the government. So potentially more of a partnership than a straight swap, perhaps. And the Octopus Energy Group, obviously London-based, very close to our hearts, recently raised 455 million in their latest funding round to improve its energy tech solutions and expand the amount of renewable energy products it's offering. And the company said, as part of this, they were gonna use this extra capital to improve its energy tech platform, Kraken, that 
that uses machine learning and automating a lot of the energy supply chain, obviously relevant to a lot of the decentralization of the grid due to micro generators and renewables and whatnot with, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry with a solar panel on their roof. And also part of this, obviously we see where the funding is flowing, is them planning to either reconfigure or replace a thousand turbines to expand their coverage in terms of electricity to up to half a million more homes than they currently supply. I think this is obviously concerning times for Bowl. I think what tends to get lost in these big takeover stories is how it's going to affect people. Part of me is concerns that Bowl's customers who may have relied on them for cheaper, more efficient energy will be impacted negatively at a time when yeah. energy prices are going through the roof. So it'll be interesting to see how Octopus plays this. And like you say, this will be one of the levers kind of pushing maybe this transaction forward. Because obviously the government who are currently supporting Bulb in order to stop it, its customers, everything in that ecosystem kind of going into a nosedive. So they probably want it off their hands, mm. to be honest. The government recently declined to comment on the purchase due to commercial sensitivity. So obviously it's something that they are at least seriously considering. And as well as the fact that Bulb's state bailout is already expected to cost the taxpayer around $2 billion by next year, this does suggest that going forward you should look for a version of this deal going ahead. Maybe not with the funding that are uh, Octopus are looking for, but at least in some form or other. And while we're on the topic of renewable energy, it's becoming a particular topic of relevance when it comes to data centres. Now, people who've been keeping an eye on the news might have heard recently that West London home building was put on hold due to data centres electricity demands and worries about blackouts. This links into the recent news about Microsoft's successful trial of hydrogen energy cells to power a New York data centre. So perhaps Octopus and renewable energy suppliers see the data centre area and the London housing grid as a good place to expand their coverage. I think the uh, the West London story is quite interesting as an ardent supporter of many data centres <laughs> in areas across the UK. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of data centres have been moving out of London or have been going into administration if they are primarily based in London in recent years. Uh, SunGuard UK comes to mind mm. as one example. I think the issue is with rents as expensive as it is in London, why would you want a data centre in London? I just, no, it makes no sense at all. For our penultimate topic today, let's look again at Meta, or more specifically, WhatsApp. And recently, the boss told reporters that they're not going to lower the security of the messenger service. And Will Cathcart basically said that if the government asked them to weaken their encryption, it would be very foolish to accept, which is a, a bold claim. And this is part of government plans under the online safety bill, temporarily shelved, to detect child abuse images, including possible scanning of private messages as part of the process. The NSPCC, as we said the other week, have obviously criticised WhatsApp's position or the position of companies like them, saying that this is the real front line of tackling this kind of abuse whereas the government want to put the onus back onto these tech firms. There will be, obviously, widespread support for WhatsApp's statement, perhaps from privacy experts and other big tech firms. I think uh, this also circles back to what we were talking about earlier with Meta, that uh, WhatsApp mm. is the last product
products are meta that everybody uses and it yeah. goes into that sort of what we were saying about the changing of the social media landscape into that sort of community chats that's how you connect with people they don't they don't go on reddit or they just have whatsapp group chats yeah. i think that might be the last bastion of hope for meta at this time which is maybe why they're doubling down on the privacy thing well for a long time end-to-end encryption has been a big part of whatsapp's marketing so mm. undermining that even a little bit leaves you wondering you know why did meta mm. spend tens of billions of dollars on them in the first place 100%. in terms of looking at whatsapp side of it there was a city am byline published by Susie allegra a human rights barrister today and her point of view is quite interesting and she says quote it is now well accepted that human rights apply online as they do offline and the online safety bill is a response to the obvious need to regulate the online space but it does not exist in a vacuum and a raft of other legislative proposals are a very real threat to our rights, unquote. Which is a very interesting perspective because you'd think a human rights barrister might be more sympathetic to the, the side of the debate which says let's protect people above all other concerns. Mm. Mm. But obviously privacy is a central concern. Mm. So looking at what the government will do going forwards, we think they'll look at tapping into public outrage at these kind of online abuses and not really taking WhatsApp's statement as a suitable excuse. For example, UK officials will continue to push for government freedoms to filter content like these automated scanners while still claiming perhaps that they can still protect individual privacy. On the other hand, looking at a continental perspective, the EU's planning to propose that they put the responsibility more on the providers like WhatsApp. For our final topic today, we'll be looking at what Oracle's been getting up to. A big day for big tech. Now, we've previously discussed these layoffs resulting from a dip in tech stocks and the kind of cooling of that particular feeding frenzy on Wall Street. Now, Oracle are the latest and most significant example that even these kind of hyperscalers aren't immune to the effects of this, despite their huge financial clout. Oracle, like you, me, and everyone, uh, would like to save a billion dollars. You know, that's lovely for them. Yeah, there's a large amount of money. And these cuts are clearly a part of that plan. Now, this is coming from various publications of Oracle not coming out with an announcement themselves. The Register, for example, found reports of cuts from LinkedIn, Twitter, TheLayoff.com, and other sites from Oracle staff. And the fact that they've had to go there suggests that Oracle are reluctant to admit any potential weaknesses to their customers, to competitors, to the market in general, uh, public investors, for example. However, now the story's out there in significant publications, watch for some damage control from their PR department, let's say. Especially considering that most of the layoffs are coming via customer experience and marketing, their public perception is clearly not where they'd like it to be right now, and I wonder why. Yeah, I think especially in tandem with this is the recent outages they've suffered over the mm. last few weeks. I think with the heat wave there, London, I know we were just talking about London <laughs> data centres, but one of their London data centres had to cut it because of the heat wave. I think when you have a public cloud hyperscaler brand name so i think microsoft azure mm. i think google cloud and i think aws yeah i don't always think of oracle in that bracket but i think with these massive hyperscalers there's so much complexity going on and if they're already suffering outages like they have been does cutting customer support 
You can concentrate your investment on the people who make a great product, but if people don't know you have that product or don't trust you to sell them that product, you're not really doing yourself a lot of good. Mm, for sure, for sure. In terms of looking at the actual big three, AWS, Microsoft, and Google Cloud, look at them snapping up some of these Oracle staff, mm. potentially a bit of the, the brain drain in the uh, public comms department, and see how the market sort of redistributes itself over coming weeks. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We hope this episode has been informative, educational, and most importantly, slightly terrifying. Please join us for our next episode. And in the meantime, take care. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. That was Wavelength by Resonance. Thank you for tuning in, and please join us next time.